What's up, guys? Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode 10. My name is James Scully. Today on the podcast, we have an interview with Javen Ivey, who is a stop-motion animator. And our topic for the discussion is finding your eureka moment and how to sustain that moment as you move on in life. Javen is someone who, as a stop-motion animator, invented a method of animation in 2007 called the Stratostencil method. And Javen and I break down what went into creating that method, where his roots in animation come from, how he felt when he found that he was discovering something new, and the amazing feeling that that was. And also, as you move forward in your life and your career, you're not always going to be innovating every moment of the day. How do you prevent yourself from getting down or uh, feeling depressed that you're not creating something that the world hasn't seen yet? Javen and I speak about these kinds of things when we talk, and Javen and I go way back, and he's someone that feels comfortable opening up and talking about the intimate details that comprise the inner workings of his mind. I do want to say before we go on that you can listen to this podcast on soundcloud.com slash thewallbreakers, and absolutely for free, you can subscribe on iTunes by searching for The Wallbreakers on iTunes, and we'd really appreciate it if you did subscribe if you rated, if you reviewed us, it is absolutely 100% for free. We give this to you free of charge twice a month. The more people that do so, the easier time other people will have in finding the Wall Breakers podcast, as you know, which is called Breaking Walls. And we're really pushing forward with a lot of new ideas, and it's important to us that we know what you guys think about how we're doing and what we're doing, because if we don't know, it's a lot of shots in the dark. And you guys, by the way, have been excellent in giving us praise and constructive criticism, and we really appreciate that from the bottom of our hearts. Now, a few notes. Ordinarily, the first podcast of the month, this month being March, would be our Mentor Interview Series podcast. This podcast is not considered the Mentor Podcast for the month. It is a peer-based podcast. Once again, if you are familiar with the change in The Wall Breakers, we're doing two podcasts a month. The first of the month on thewallbreakers.com will always premiere a mentor interview. And that mentor interview will also double as the first podcast. Now, Lena and I run the Wallbreakers in our spare time. And for the past few weeks, she has been in and out of a lot of workshops. I have been in the process of moving. And our dates to interview our particular mentor for the month of March didn't quite line up. So because I had recorded this interview with Javen a few weeks ago, I decided to flip-flop the order for this particular month. The Wall Breakers are a work in progress, and I feel and Lena feels that it's better to be open and honest with you and tell you what's going on rather than try to shoehorn an interview in, in this case the mentor interview with our guest that will remain nameless until the time. And it's better um, to not shoehorn that interview and have the actual interview when it takes place be a strong one. And it's fantastic that in lieu of that interview, I've got, and Lena has, this great interview with Javen ready to go that we were originally going to premiere in the middle of this month. So we're in March now on The Wall Breakers, and our topic for the month is serendipity. Um, if you follow The Wall Breakers, you knew that last month the topic was vulnerability. We arrived at vulnerability because the main event for the month is Valentine's Day, and the core tenant for Valentine's Day, you might say, is love, but really it's vulnerability because... Without being vulnerable, you really can't love something because you have to give unto yourself. Now, this month's main event is St. Patty's Day. And you might say that for St. Patrick's Day, the event topic would be luck. But we say it's serendipity because it's just one and the same. But really, serendipity is a form of luck that comes with being so totally open-minded that you're ready for whatever the world throws at you and you can look at things in a positive way. Now, if you notice... You can't have serendipity without first being vulnerable. There is going to be in these topics as the year goes on a very natural progression that mirrors the passage of time that we don't always realize happens with each monthly holiday. Now we start the year with New Year's and remember we end it with New Year's Eve and it's the close of your holidays like Hanukkah, like uh, Christmas, like New Year's Eve are very much about taking stock. And the beginning of the year holidays are always about the new year, the new you, etc., etc. So there is very much so a progressional arc to the way the year goes. By hitting on these holidays and these events and getting to the core of what they're really about 
and presenting topics centered around that, we can progress as the year goes on. And that's where we're at in March. It's serendipity. So I'm not going to take up any more of your time. But if you have any questions for Lena and I, please, as always, shoot us an email at hello at thewallbreakers.com. And after this quick break, we're going to have our interview with Javen Ivey. And the topic is finding your eureka moment and how to sustain it. Hey guys, on the podcast today with Javen Ivy, and Javen is a stop motion animator who developed the something that I that is called the Stratosensile animation technique. He did that with a, an animation called My Paper Mind in 2007. And the topic that I wanted to discuss with Javen today was finding a eureka breakthrough and knowing you're in that moment and how to sustain that success mentally. And Javen is somebody who is a pretty self-aware dude and somebody I think could really elaborate on this kind of topic. So I want to welcome you, Javen, to the podcast. Hi, thanks. Good to be here. I want you to take me back to some of your earliest moments. When did you start loving different forms of art? What gravitated you towards animation in the first place? Who were some of your favorite animators and uh, programs or cartoonists or cartoons growing up? You know, I know you personally, but and I know some strong things about you, but I don't know what the inception was that got you to love art in the first place. Gosh, that's great. You know, um, I, I always end up looking back on like stop motion stuff and, you know, in, in the industry, we're always bringing up old references or old stuff that got everybody interested. And like stop motion used to be special effects, like, st like special effects were done in stop motion. You know, you look at, you know, Star Wars and, and such, and even up until like Jurassic Park, like everything was done in stop motion. Jurassic Park was going to be done with stop motion special effects. And I always looked forward to anything done in stop motion, any behind the scenes stuff. Like, you know, you'd get those little featurettes on, you know, our pirated HBO or, or whatever we had at the time. Like anything, it was television series done in stop motion or animated like it was all just really cool, but I don't know. I never thought of it really as like something I could do for a living, to be honest. I never thought of it as something that um, I would have access to when I was a kid. And I, I honestly forgot about a lot of it for a long time in thinking of it in any sort of like creative expression sort of way. And um, like, you know, I went through school and, and for a while I thought, you know, I thought I was like going to own a hobby shop or be a small business owner or like, teach English, you know, I started going to community college for like an English degree. And that wasn't, it wasn't for me. And I dropped out of community college, like after like a year and a half. But when I went back to school, I went with an interest in like somebody had shown me some video camera stuff, just television production stuff. And I got into a television production program and was also taking art classes on the side because suddenly I had all these extra credits. I had time and discovering like expression through art and discovering drawing and painting and sculpture and making stuff and applying you know i grew up in a house of mechanics both my grandfathers just did everything with their hands you know all of that uh suddenly had a use in an expressive way like that was Absolutely. new to me that's something yeah. just like I, I had never really thought about i mean working with your hands had always been something i well i fix things you know like well you know you replace this or like make that work again or like that's broken got to replace it and but a traditional animator is a, is a mechanic. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, everything I, everything I end up doing, there's that basic physicality of the medium, you know. And just to have a knowledge of how things work and how things mesh together or move or how gears work as, like, a rudimentary example. Like, if you understand how one gear works, you can understand how it's going to affect the next one and so on down the line. And that physicality of things comes into play so often with stop motion that, I don't know, it's like I tried to run away from being a mechanic all growing up and I ended up using all of it, you know, like everything I ever like learned around my family and that. But yeah, I mean, going through the television production program, it just narrowed down, you know, we had video production and making the moving image and film. And then I could find, I could do sculptural stuff and like bring in 
all kinds of all mediums and puppets and writing and I could do all the things, you know, <laughs> like I could do everything at once. And really for me, I like to do a lot of things. I don't, I, I have a hard time. It's funny to hear an animator say this, but it's hard for me to do the same thing. And, um, but animation on the, from the outside seems like we're just doing the same thing over and over again. And we are, but there's a decision being made at every increment and there's Absolutely. things that have to be built in preparation. It's all the preparation and building and problem solving leading up to doing the same thing over and over again that makes animation really fascinating to those of us that are involved in, in creating the medium, you know, creating the, the works. What you just described, to me, it's a true art form in that regard, where, the, where it's almost like when, to me, art is like science meets creativity. Like that's how somewhere yeah. in my brain I define art. You know what I mean? Sure. Without meaning to do it that way. But it, there's a method there but the method has freedom and you know there's expression to it also at the same time and that's interesting you brought up some things that i would have asked you later as questions i didn't know when you were graduating let's say high school i didn't know what your plan was and it doesn't surprise me to hear that you would be the kind of person that would open up a hobby shop because you do like to tinker with things in general you fix watches and oh yeah i wanted you, when i was a little kid i i would always say you know somebody says fireman or policeman or whatever like I wanted to be an inventor. Like, I just want to be like, there were always those so cool. Fraggle Rock, the guy, the guy in Fraggle Rock, right? He's just like mm-hmm. this, tear, this, you know, and he's got his dog sprocket. Like, that's all I wanted to be. I just wanted to be a guy who like solves problems for people and like, here, use this, you know, and hit, just wind something up, give it to somebody and like, watch it go to use. Like, that's really kind of my favorite thing to do. It still is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I kind of got, I kind of got that. Uh, yeah. Result, but when you came to Pratt, what was it like being a 23 going on 24 year old virtual freshman? And that's how, for those, you know, that's how I met Javen. He and I lived together with our close friend, Chris, yeah. uh, our uh, sophomore year of college. And at the time, Chris and I were only 18, 19 and Javen was a little older. What was that like for you to intermingle with people that were, you know, five years younger than you? What were some preconceived notions that you had going in that were either confirmed or totally blew you out of the water and, and you realized you learned a lot at that point also? Gosh, I don't know. I, I think I, I did. You know, it was interesting because I had gone to community college and a community college generally it's an environment where, you know, it's just people of all ages all thrown in. Like you do have uh, people fresh out of high school, you have people that are learning how to do their third career, you know, and like learning the skills to go back into the workforce in a different capacity than they've been in, or just somebody who's 70, 70 years old taking a Spanish class, you know, it's like you get a really broad range of people. And actually, you know, at Pratt, you know, like everybody was like the same age, like that was like a school to go to after you're done with, you know, you know, high school. The arts, yeah, the art school, you know, the art kids in high school, they went off to art school, you know, and that was like a thing. And, and that was like something I hadn't really prepared for. But what was more interesting to me was the skill level of, of everyone there in the sense that, like I say, like I kind of came on to an interest in art later, you know, it wasn't until after high school that I had even like thought about making art, you know, I'd always dabbled in, like I say, mechanic, you know, so suddenly I was among a group of people that were more like people I wanted to be peers of in the sense that everybody was thinking in high gear, like there was so much energy and so much uh, exploration and hunger and everybody wanted an art education, I guess. Everybody wanted to explore their medium really more accurately what it was. Everybody wanted to just like cut loose. And that was the great thing about art school was you could just explore and find and hunt. And that was something I was just, I had thought I was ready for, but I- It was baptism by fire. Oh yeah, no. And it was such a great environment to be in because for so long, everything that I knew had just been come from, you know, my own studies outside of an environment like that. You know, just having like roommates accessible to say, hey, does this read? What does this look like? Um, You know, what's happening with this? Like, am I doing this in- any way that makes sense. It's it wasn't really a, am I doing this right questions. It was what do you think about what I'm doing? You know, sure, and, and discussion oriented questions. Yeah, yeah, and having an environment where people were very receptive to that, and with an eye that also wanted to like look and critique and change. Like the worst thing <laughs> I feel like getting into art was that, and this is you know before art school, everybody tells you you're doing a great job. 
all the feedback you're getting is that looks great. Wow, that's so cool. I wish I could do things like that. Oh, you creative types, you know, that sort of thing. And <laughs> finally, in art school, I had somebody telling me like, uh, that looks like hell. Here's why. And here's what you can do to improve. Here's what you can do better. Here are some objective criteria that can be, you know, thrown in there and, and you can pick and choose which things you want it to adjust or change or yeah, just like the environment was so fertile. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, absolutely fertile. And for anybody listening who didn't go to an art school or an art school that was quite like Pratt, what Javen is really talking about also is that when you presented a project even, and Javen was hitting on things where, you know, it'd be he and myself and our friend Chris in a room just talking, basically off campus on our own time. But also when you presented projects, you put them up for everybody to see. You talked about them. You critiqued them. And, and it was a, a communal-oriented atmosphere where if you were going to be the kind of person who was closed-minded, you were going to sink in that kind of environment because there was too much positive energy, too many people with the kind of passion that Javen mentioned in the fertile kind of mindset that everybody had. And people wanted to grow. And they were they wanted to be the best, too. There was a lot of competition at Pratt, and that was a good thing. Yeah, competition is really healthy. And, and it's hard, like, you know, competition in the professional world, like, is kind of hard to deal with. And, and criticism in the professional world is is a different animal in the sense well, that... there are politics involved. There's in politics it. involved. There are repercussions. There are futures to be in. It, it's just different. And um, But I do want to hear when things aren't working and... And sometimes it's it's easy to get defensive in situations like that where someone will actually tell you when something is working or not. And, you know, in animation, like, sometimes you got to do it over again. And when you've been working on something for four hours straight and somebody looks at it for, looks at it once and it's four seconds of footage, you know, or five or at most 10 seconds of footage that you've made. And someone, they look at it and they don't say anything and they look at it again and they're like, something isn't quite right here. I like what's going on here. This part right here isn't quite right. Let's go ahead and go back to this point. Like, it's crushing. Like, I personally, because I know it, myself yeah. well enough that I need to, like, I can, I can listen. I can take in the critique. But it's going to be, like, a good 20 or 30 minutes before I can personally get back into the headspace of doing it again. Because, you know, you get attached and you get, like, defensive it always looks better the second time. And I know that, but I absolutely need like like 15 to 20 minutes to kind of digest the critique and just kind of get over myself and get over that little blow to the ego to go back into it, do it again and do it better. It's always, be it's always better the second time. You know, when you talk about things like luck and serendipity, if you are ego driven and insecure about something, you won't really have the chance to experience any kind of fortune that serendipity would bring because you'll be on the defensive all the time. And what you just said about, yeah, no, it's normal. Anybody is going to be, if they're going to, if you're going to work hard on something and somebody shoots it down for good reason, you're going to feel a little defensive about it because you are emotionally attached to it. That's normal. But to have the wherewithal and the self-awareness to step back and go, all right, I'm going to need about 20 minutes here. And on the other side of this 20 minutes, I'm going to agree with what you just said and get back to work. <laughs> but I'm just going to internally whimper here and, and argue with myself. <laughs> Absolutely. <a few> <laughs> Absolutely. And then I'm going to come back, you know, but, and that, that's much better than you blurting out, nah, you're wrong. You know, that, yeah. where would that get you in the well, end? And, and that's the thing is sometimes it does is sometimes it spills over and you kind of get in that sort of like, you know you're having the discussion that you shouldn't be having. You know you're like defending something you shouldn't be defending, and you know that, like you know that internally, but outward, <laughs> outwardly, you're kind of like, yeah, yeah, but but what I was thinking, or this couldn't do this, or and you're like making excuses, and I've gotten so much better at just like <laughs> repressing that so that I can get down to you know the meat and potatoes of like how are we going to make this better, you know. You've got to make yourself open to things that happen. Absolutely, you have to. You have to consciously make that decision. Well, I take that back. Not everybody does. I mean, I know I know a lot of people that, that go through life very open to everything that's going on. And, you know, you talk about luck and serendipity. Those are the luckiest sure. people. You know, like I know some of the luckiest people. But it's a big part of it is because they're so open and they're so aware and so receptive to the things that are going on around them. 
when you work to be open, then you have the opportunity to you have the opportunity people might more naturally absorb. Yeah, you can absolutely just consciously grow a sense of awareness and receptiveness and openness and you just see more, you know? You just you have to have you to do. have to look up. And you know, it's important to be receptive to those things, even if it doesn't come naturally, because then like you're saying, you're looking up and looking out and seeing what's around you for really what it is too. You're not so used to, you know, looking in at yourself and measuring everybody that around you by what you see as yourself. You're right. seeing what's there. You know, in right. season one, episode one of this podcast, I spoke with Staten Island hip hop MC Reb Brandt, who's a friend of mine. And he said something similar about collaboration in the studio and how, you know, if somebody gives him constructive criticism, what's the real outcome that we're trying to get? the best product possible. So if I sit there and I say, no, nah, man, this is the way it's got to go. In the end, who am I benefiting? Nobody. And he brought up a point. He said, you've got to be like Bruce Lee, be like water. And I think that's a very good point. You do have to try to be like water in that regard, because if you can flow and go with things then you are just open and receptive, and then you can have some serendipity and luck, yeah. which to me brings me to the point that you've always to me been somebody who is like that. Even if it's a natural tendency to want to be defensive about something on occasion, You've always been somebody who's had the wherewithal to step back. Think about what the big picture is in, in the end. And when you released and you worked on My Paper Mind in 2007, mm-hmm. I was uh, watching you very closely, honestly. I, seeing you do the animation, you know, I was there. I, I remember how I felt watching you do this. I saw you with the rig set up for your camera, and I saw how many hours you cut paper. And I, I remember how proud I was that you were finding a unique voice in a landscape, both from a college standpoint and the animation world, that's pretty saturated with voices trying to be heard and not always, they're not always unique, you know? So what brought you to this method? When you say strata stencil, am I accurate or am I wrong if I say, truthfully between you and I and the rest of the world now (laughs) for this recording, Javen Ivey invented the strata stencil method. Well, you know, it's funny because I I think about that. I used to think about that a lot in the sense that I always looked at it as a combination and like a reinterpretation of a a couple different techniques. Um, It's an upright down shoot thing, a down shoot and multi-plane technique. Explain that, by the way, to somebody who does. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm thinking of the words to break it down. So like a multi-plane is something that Disney used and that's like a camera overhead a lot of glass panes and a lot of paintings, like the opening to Bambi, I believe, was done with uh, a multi-plane down shoot. And they used to use this effect, and I'm pretty sure they even used it in uh, Snow White, but that way they could like pan a foreground faster than a middle ground, faster mm-hmm. than a background, right? So you've got a multi-plane technique. Like I hung, hung everything vertically, but there's still like an idea there that's related you know, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yep. Yeah. But in the same way that ink is related to charcoal, you know, like it's just, right. it's in form of art. Yeah. And there was also, you know, there's strata cut, which was first used as like, you take like a lump of wax that's kind of amorphous and you take a slice of it and you take a picture of that and you take another slice of it, take a picture of that. And you have this sort of bulbous undulating sort of shape on a two dimensional plane. And that was done, I believe it's in The Adventures of Prince Ahmed, which is in very early animations. And Oscar Fischinger, I think, used it at some point. And then uh, David Daniels started working with it in clay and started doing this subtractive process. He builds the form out of like a roll of clay and builds an image. The way you have to work your mind around it is is really great. And you just kind of have to look at it and see it to understand like what's being done. But you have, say, like a, a nice long log of clay and a lot of different images inside this clay. So you take a slice, and he did a few of them for Pee-Wee's Playhouse. You did a slice, and there's an image of, you know, a globe. And you take another slice, and that globe on the two-dimensional planes look, looks as though it has rotated. And you take another slice, and it continues. And you, take, you just keep taking these slices, and you're always looking at the present image it's a subtractive process. You're taking away and exposing an image. You're taking away and exposing an image. What was interesting to me was the concept of, well, what if, right? Like, what if it was different? What if instead of a subtractive process, it was an additive process? So instead of, you know, removing an image, you added an image on top of the other image, right? 
Mm-hmm. And then I had to just, I ran through a couple different like ways of trying to do that, um, like with transparency or what have you. But, you know, I eventually ended up settling on paper and stencils. Like I had been doing stenciling stuff, you know, on my own time for like t-shirt designs and stuff, even before I went to school. So yeah, it's that's right. natural to go to that for me. So you know, it's a combination of, of multiple things. And I just wanted to see what it would look like. Honestly, I had a rough idea in terms of I had ideas of like video feedback, I under, understood how that worked, like just like echoes, like, but I didn't exactly know what I was going to end up with. I And I held off playing back to see what I was getting. Like, while I was shooting it, like I, I made sure that I got 20 or 30 frames in before I ever hit play, because it was the kind of process where you do everything from beforehand, you prep and you cut, like you, you animate and you print and cut and, you know, you hang it all up and you just start taking pictures and you move it back and you take another picture and you move it back and add another frame and you take a picture and you move it back and add another frame. And it's this very repetitive process that you've done all this work to get to. So to like have my own, <laughs> my own like sense of reveal at the end of it was important to me. So I, as long as I could, I kept from hitting play. I wanted to get as many pictures taken as I could before hitting play. Sure. And it was it was so gratifying to finally look at it and see and see where it was going because it was working. I didn't know it was going to be working. I, and I had a I had a hunch, you know, like I, I had a really good hunch that it was all going to work. But when finally looking at it, I was really surprised at how well it was working like for for me, you know. I didn't know what anybody else was going to see when seeing it because like I say, like I had just gone through all this process to get to it. And yeah. And every time I showed somebody, they had almost bigger reactions than, than I did. Like it was very arresting to people I showed it to. And a friend of mine was like, you have to name it something. I'm like, why? He's like, cause I haven't seen this. Like nobody's seen this, which to me was like one of those, it's like, everything's been done, you know, especially in animation. Even then at that time we were like, you know, everything's been done. Everything's a copy of a copy or like that sort of mentality, but I hadn't seen it and other people hadn't seen it. And I and honestly don't know, maybe somebody came up with it first or maybe somebody had done something very similar, but I had hadn't seen what I had done. And that was a very exciting feeling. You know, that like that something new feeling is very, very... Um... Well, but you said it <laughs> at, the, at the onset, you said your dream was to be an inventor. Right. Yeah, you know? and, so. and, and you have this skill coming from a mechanics family where you like to tinker with things with your hands and you're using cut stencils that you, you know, I don't... And, it's interesting. You said I used to make t-shirts and I haven't thought about you making t-shirts in I don't know how many years. And as soon as you said that, I was like, that's right. Javen always cut stencils and made t-shirts. You know, like I didn't think about that, Yeah. you know, since that time. But you have this desire to be an inventor. You have this skill using your hands and then you're taking and cutting this paper and you're using an additive process instead of subtractive process. I mean, it really is the perfect eureka moment of blending all of those skills that you had at the same time and the open mindedness that you, you know, like you said, in terms of, you didn't want to look at it in a way because you knew you would critique it. You wanted to have enough of a, a discovery process there where you would feel something as if it would a true eureka moment in that regard. Well, it's funny because I think those eureka moments, I mean, stuff like that comes from, it's not always just like it fell in your lap. It always takes a lot of preparation. It's like you you prepare, you prepare, you prepare, you prepare, and then you let it go. And, and like that's the only way that when it t- comes time that everything can come back into play. And you just have to, I don't know. I mean, that's I feel like that's advice so often given is just like work hard, work hard, work hard, and eventually it just happens. Well, yes, in short, like that's a way of summarizing it. But you you prepare and you discipline yourself. Gosh, I can learn from myself a lot lately. I, I don't feel like I've done anywhere near as much as I should have been doing in the past like five years or hell, even since um, my paper mind. I mean, I can't say I've invented something new since then, but like I keep trying things and you keep building and adding to your toolbox, like something new is bound to happen eventually, but uh, you prepare 
you know, you keep adding to your toolbox. And that way, when something comes along, you can reach for whatever you need to make it happen. Uh, you know, you're ready for it when it comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're ready and you're open and, you know, just receptive to it. That way you have everything you need because it's, it's a terrible feeling when you're like on the verge of something and you're like, if I just had this, you know, if I just had that one thing, then this could happen. And, you know, sometimes it's going to be that way. But other sometimes times you have to go back and build that one. Sometimes you have to go back and build it and you fill in the holes, you know, you fill in the the gaps where, you know, you don't have the skill or the tool or, you know, what have you, you say, okay, well, I'm going to get it. And next time I'll know, you learn, you build your toolbox, you learn. take it with you, you, you know? Absolutely. And you know what the truth is when you're building that skill and you know, you don't have it yet. And we're talking about serendipity, self-security and self-awareness and self-assuredness. You lack it when you know you're lacking something, you're missing that key. But when you build that key for yourself, there's a quiet confidence that takes over because you know, you got the goods in that regard, or at least you know that, well, I have enough in my toolbox that when something's thrown my way, I'll be able to reach in there and pull out the makings of an answer or even the way you're a modest guy. So we won't say, and, and you're right to do this, whether or not Javen Ivy is truly the inventor of the Strata stencil, because somebody might have tinkered with it earlier than you, but you're saying you're pulling skills learned from Disney animation styles. You're pulling other skills learned from using clay methods of working with animation and you're building them together. So in a way that was a toolbox. So has everything been done before? Well, yes, in a way, but not in that way, you know? So, and it's so interesting that you brought up the point that, you know, you said, gosh, I, I gotta be listening to these things that I'm saying out loud right now because I feel like I haven't done anything, but I keep trying. And that brings me to something, you and I had a talk in 2009 before you left New York. Yeah. And you and I sat down together and uh, we watched Elizabeth Gilbert, who for those of you who don't know, wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And she had a TED talk that was similar, basically this sort of topic where when you have the Eureka project or a magnum opus and you're like 40 years old, <laughs> how do you prevent yourself from drinking gin at 8 a.m. like Hemingway, you know, for the rest of your life? And feel disappointed that you can't top something you did at an earlier date. And I wanted to bring that up to you because I wanted to see what, but you answered it without That's even me bringing the topic up. And that hurts. You just keep, you just keep doing it. Just keep working, you know, you just keep working at it. And like, and to be honest, and, you know, at this point in my life, like, it honestly, it doesn't matter if you top it or not. It's more about are you know are you ready for the, the next process. day? Are you ready for the day? Do you do you have the tools in your box? And and it's like you don't go get them. You know you just you just keep working and you just keep finding different ways of doing things because I mean especially now my God the things we have I mean it's almost a point where like nobody would dare say nothing new can ever be made because we've hit this crazy <laughs> exponential like rate of of entropy of possibilities. You know it's like possibilities begin more possibilities and we're we're on our way we're going somewhere now it's like we've really picked up steam and gosh trying to keep up with everybody is uh, a real challenge and a really thrilling challenge you know a challenge that is uh exciting tr to try and meet i feel like an you know an old guy at 33 like watching everybody you know like you got all these like 24 to 27 year olds like just building new companies and making really amazing stuff like there's so much amazing stuff being done and being uh, pushed and all these challenges being issued. What we have accessible to us, like I say, when I was when I was a kid, you know, and looking into stop motion stuff, that's something you need all this equipment. You needed a film camera. You needed a way of editing that film. You needed a way of projecting that film. You needed lights. You needed all this stuff. You needed knowledge of how a film camera works and how it gets developed and all that. Now, my God, everybody's carrying around all the tools in their pocket. They don't even know it, <laughs> you know? And, and, exactly. And honestly, I've been teaching, uh, on as a side job, I've been teaching stop motion classes to like sixth to eighth graders. And it's absolutely incredible what I feel are like limited tools and you can hand them to, to these kids and they just make a, just a prolific amount of work, you know, like they just, they just go. They just keep putting stuff in front of these little webcams and a laptop, and they are, they are working. They are doing stuff. They are making stuff. They're when can we add sound now? And it's like, 
well, yes, yes, we can add sound. We can absolutely do that. You know, we have that capability and everything is just at their fingertips by the same token at our fingertips. It's actually been really encouraging to me as a person who hit a lot of those walls. I hit those stumbling blocks, those writer's blocks in creativity. And to see just like a kid, like grab something and go nuts with it. They don't care if it's been done before. You know, they don't care if even what they're making is any good. They are exploring, they're learning, they're building their own tool set, they're getting a grasp on how things work and or how they're put together. And it's really refreshing to see that. And one thing is obvious, and that's youth keeps you youthful. Do you know what I mean in that sense? (laughs) Yeah. The world world has a tendency to try to tell you to be realistic, but the truth of the matter is nothing has ever been built through realistic expectations. (laughs) It's only idealism. Yeah, that's it. That's true. And it's funny because I've been, I feel like I've been the realist on a lot of projects in the past few years. And I've worked with a lot of people very open to things and uh, they'll be the lead on a project and I'll be the guy in the corners and look, I know you think you're going to get this done in a month, but the work that you expect we're going to get done in a week is going to take us that entire month. And I don't like when I'm right on that. And sometimes I'm not, you know, sometimes we can get a lot done, but sometimes it takes a lot more work than people are expecting. Sure. And, well, and they learn, you know, and they learn. Yeah, and they learn. yeah, exactly. And we all and learn. They'll together. learn in the end how to, to get that answer that needs to take a month. Eventually yeah. they'll get it to be done in a week because they'll keep figuring it out and figuring out until oh now it can be done in a week because we figured out how to do it you know so like the real the realistic you in that sense is good because you're not allowing something to just spin out into the orbit somewhere like you're you're trying to keep grounding is important there there needs to be grounding but if i weren't expecting the timeline that i was i would have been horrifically depressed at the outcome of like something you know like we had our difficulties on some projects but that i didn't see it coming i would have really been upset about you know like if i you know whenever you overestimate and under deliver it, it makes you feel bad you, and you usually on your own stuff rather than any professional work but but usually the answer to those kinds of things is to simplify i mean when we talk about being and sustaining a eureka moment i think a lot of that is simplicity the dreaming is fantastic but usually there's a simple solution to most dreams that you can dream up you know as far as executing them you know you're, if you're talking about adding things to your toolbox having the courage to explore where those might tell you that you shouldn't those are still, you know, you can still do things one step at a time in that regard. And and then it's simple. And um, to me, that's a good way to sustain that kind of momentum there, you know, to continue to keep dreaming. As long as you are always sure of who you are and where you're standing at that moment, you can always take the next step forward, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, as long as it's coming from a place of honesty, you know, you're you're golden. Like, as long as you're honest with yourself and those around you, like what you are and are not capable of. I feel like I grew up in a generation that was like failure was this terrible thing and no one should experience failure where failure is part of the learning process. Like failure, God, you, you know, you have to you have to fail every now and again. And not only do you have to, but it's okay. You know, and being able to say it's okay and being able to be honest with the group around you saying, look, I have this idea. I'm not entirely sure how we should do it. I know I want these elements, but I need help because I don't know how to do this. That is of huge value right now to me and in my life and as well as in the people I want around me in a professional career. Like if I ask somebody to do something, I want to know honestly how comfortable they are in doing it. And if they're not entirely comfortable, maybe they're not comfortable with it, but I'm comfortable letting them do it or letting them work it out. I trust their sensibilities. I trust what they know of the medium or whatever they're working with. I I trust the decisions they make in another medium, and I'm hoping they'll make similar decisions when they work in this medium. You do a lot of problem solving in stop motion. And you've got to be able to hand something to somebody and trust them that it's going to work out. Yeah. Sometimes you get into situations where somebody doesn't trust the, the people they have at their disposal. And that makes the situation hard. If you're among those people, you everybody knows it's going to work out. Everybody knows, has enough experience to know that, look, we get something done in the end. We make something great. You know, we're... We're, we're all good enough at what we do. We're all professionals at what we do. We're not going to just turn out blah. You know, it's not going to just be like a pile. Like, there's going to be something good at the end of the day. A few of the things, if we were to go back a moment, I think sometimes, in, and I don't know if it's just American society, but I think sometimes in society, we're taught 
to ask for help is to be weak, when in fact to ask for help is a sign of immense strength because you trust yourself enough to know that you can't do something on your own and you realize that there's a collective consciousness here that needs to be tapped into because you have to rely on other people. You know, you can only go so far on your own if you want to push that ball a little further you need somebody standing with you, you know, and, and it gets, it goes back to that communal college atmosphere of critique of shared stories of being able to see other people's work and look at it and pull some things that they say that they drew from and realize that, Oh, you know, you and I, we're all pretty similar and we have similar experiences. Sure. They're unique to us, but the emotion behind them that we feel is similar to each other and, and we can pull from them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's a really important bit of advice that you hit on there. You need that because of the amount of mechanical work that needs to be done, but it would not be possible without teams of people. Well, yeah, I mean, there's just so many disciplines, you know, and the thing that I've always chased in my own effort to like expand my toolbox. And I'm at a point now where it doesn't, it's not as important to me as an end goal. Like I, I always wanted to be a director who could guide the process or guide the vision or what have you. And I'm very comfortable making things happen for other people. Like I really love problem solving and I'm and and sometimes that stuff director gets to do I think that's always been appealing to me because I get to like have all the decisions on all the problems like I get to try to come up with all the all of the solutions to all the problems but um these days what's more important to me is that you are working amongst like people you enjoy working with and working um that you can like share the problem with in growing my toolbox to be a director like my personal thing is I never want to be in a position where I'm asking someone to do something that I don't understand if that makes sense like if I'm going to ask somebody to paint something in a particular way I want to know enough about it that I know I can't do it but I do know what I'm asking for right and that's what I would call a generalist that's the term that we've hit on yeah you know and you know enough about enough to hand it off to someone better than you at that one thing Yes, exactly. You know, like I know I can make an armature. I know armaturists, you know, and they make amazing work. They can ask me a question, a very technical question, and I will have an answer for them that will allow them to like continue their work. They'll, They'll run into a problem where something needs their size discrepancy with what the you know, costumer has built is, is in conflict. And that's where like a decision comes down to a director to like, okay, do we make the puppet bigger or do we make the armature smaller? Which thing is it going to be? I just want to be somebody who understands the context of the question being asked for guidance. These days, I think about directing a little bit, but for the most part, I'm more than happy just helping on projects. I can work in the art department. I can work in you know, as an animator. I can work, help out with cameras and, and lighting and post-production and pre-production. And I love everything involved. You do all the prep work and you do all the, you, you know, you find a problem being, you know, the project. If you want to look at the project as a problem to be solved, eventually you come to a solution and you make it all work. With the topic of how do you have a eureka moment and how do you sustain it, you have to be willing to find your passion, which takes exploration. You have to be willing to be humble enough to take criticism, to keep adding tools to your toolbox so that you have a good understanding or what I would call gestantum work, you know, which means art in totality, the Bauhaus term. Or to be a generalist, you have to know enough about enough to understand where everything is coming from. And then you can pull solutions from that And then once you start to fire on all cylinders, even if it's just momentary, don't be afraid to continue to explore and do things, but take the next step and take the next step and take the next step. And eventually, to me, it seems where you're at, you find yourself in a very open-minded place where as long as your passion is being satiated, you'll find a way to be happy. Yeah, and, and, and that will always refine itself. I've always thought if I get to this point, I'll be happy. If I get to this point, I'll be happy. Now, if I get to this point, I'll be happy. And that's, that's never really the case. No, happy is now happy is like right now and how you're approaching things and what you know you're dealing with and sometimes it's hard to be happy as it were you know and to have a have a good approach to things and sometimes life throws a lot of challenges at you like but it's like you said if you take a step back you breathe you say i'm gonna whimper for a few minutes <laughs> absolutely you know and yeah, you just take a break and you, you take a look at it. You try to look at it objectively and see where things are and see whether or not that's a battle you want to pick. 
oh my gosh, I don't know, I can't remember where I heard it recently, but a phrase that I just love, and it, it's a phrase that, you know, pick your battles, you've heard that expression, right? Like, oh, is, it, like is this your is hill this, to die on? Yeah, yeah, is, is this the hill you're going to die on? Did you tell me that? Uh, possibly, but that, that is a phrase I've heard. Oh God, I love that. <laughs> I, like, is this important enough for you to like make your stand, and if you go down, this is the thing you went down on, and that's what you'll be known for. Is this that important? <laughs> Generally, the answer is no. You know, if you find yourself, yeah, because you yeah, you only get one of those. Yeah, you only, you only get one time to go down on a hill. So if you're gonna do it, <laughs> make sure it's make sure it's important enough. You know. And uh, that's not to say, you know, there aren't battles worth fighting because there are. And there's a lot of things in this world right now to worry about. One of the best pieces of advice I never took was <laughs> this old guy. I remember in a sculpture class, this is, you know, in a community college sculpture class, there's, again, a, a lot of varying age range. And I can't even, I got to look back and find the guy's name. And, you know, he's like 65 years old and just like taking sculpture to keep his hands working and doing ceramics and, you know, like working with his hands. He says, there are so many things to worry about in the world. Pick two. <laughs> and yeah. you, know, you put your energy into two, you know, like, like pick two things that you really care about and really want to be worried about. And you can do more for the world if you work on those two things than you will ever do for the whole world worrying about everything that the world is throwing out. Absolutely. Because there's only so much that your energy can go towards at one time before you're just depleted of it and nothing got done. Yeah. If we flash forward to the spring coming up, what's on the horizon for you? Gosh, actually, I'm at a really exciting point in that I don't know, but I've got the tingles about this year. Like, you know, as we're recording this, it's early in the year, but I've been watching momentum grow in the stop motion industry. I got to, to know a, a few really great people down in L.A. and kind of see the murmurings of what's going on in the stop motion industry down there and it's just going crazy it's it's really great there are so many incredible people working on really good things down there and it's such a good group of people and they're making things happen and things here in portland are looking up uh in terms of things happening we're actually trying to get more stuff into town because we've got such we've got this huge glut of talent and and we haven't had a lot for them to work on and all we need are just a few things to put in people's hands and and the results are just going to be amazing because there's so many really incredible people around here that can do really amazing things we haven't been we didn't see a lot this year but this year already like i'm busy now and it's only it only looks like it's going to get busier i don't know specifically what's going to happen but there's a lot of things going to happen here in portland in terms of stop motion and animation and and our creative end of things we just have too much talent (laughs) I mean, I, I know I'm like the humble guy, but I look around and like the people that like I've had the privilege to get to know and work with are just incredible. <laughs> We've got so many good people here. But you can see the giddiness in you because you know when something's brewing, when something's coming and you're like, oh, there's too much good here. It's going to boil over. And, oh, yeah, you got to be able to recognize the patterns. You got you to be able to see the patterns. That's another thing I love is patterns. And uh, they look good. They, they look do. Good. And the reason why you can see them also is because you're looking up. You're looking out. You're not looking in. So you you can see it. You can understand it. And it, it adds to your happiness in life because you know what's coming. You know it in your soul. You know what I mean? Like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plug for me some uh, social media stuff that you'd want people to know about. I'm going to direct people to My Paper Mind to, so that they can get a better understanding of what My Paper Mind was and why it was so groundbreaking when it came out. And then they can look at all the things that ripped off of My Paper Mind after My Paper Mind came out. But oh, yeah, I was actually thrilled with that, though. I must, I, I do have to say, for the frustrations that I have expressed about like whether or not I got to work on the things that quote-unquote ripped me off. Um, no, but flattery. It, it's, it's, fla- it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's terribly flattering. Um, there's been a bunch of really cool status. I, I look it up every, every once in a while, strata stencil stuff. And it's, um, it's cool what people have done with it. They just took it and ran with it. And, oh, I still want somebody to break. They just got to break out of the barrier. They just got to break out of the border. People are using the frame too much. Well, we, <laughs> but, know. Um, we know somebody yeah, who can do it. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, social media, by the time this airs, I'll have my website back up. So I'll say javenivy.com. Okay. And um, K-E-V-A-N-I-V-E-Y.com. That's me. And hopefully I'll have something back up by then. Um, I've, I've let it lapse 
Still on Twitter, actually. Yeah. Um, occasionally, just something will strike me that I think is funny or interesting or entertaining. Uh, and that's just Javen Ivy. I have this great unique name that I get to uh, use for everything. <laughs> I have yeah. Javen.tumblr.com that uh, occasionally I'll put up something interesting. Today, This year would be a good year to uh, get back into that, I suppose. Absolutely. It's going to be a good year. So that's something we know. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you, Javen. Gladly. Gladly. Thank you. That was a doozy of an interview. As I was interviewing Javen, I had a bullet pointed list of things that I wanted to talk about with him. Javen and I have great synergy because we know each other for a really long time, but it did catch me off guard that he was answering a lot of the questions that I wanted to ask him before I even had a chance to ask him because the conversation that he and I were having was progressing that way naturally. If you want to follow Javen, as he said, take a look at javenivy.com. Basically, if you want to follow Javen in any form of social media, just do a Google search for Javen Ivy. His name will come up because he has a very unique name. If you want to see My Paper Mind, which is the animation that Javen and I spoke about in the interview, you can do so by looking at the links attached with this podcast episode. If you're on a device right now and you can't do that, go to YouTube or go to Google and search for Javen Ivy, My Paper Mind, and his stop-motion animation will come up. It's a paper-based strata stencil, which is the method that he invented, animation, so you can't miss it. It's black and white, and it's cut paper. So as I mentioned on the intro, Javen's interview was originally supposed to air in the middle of March. But because of some scheduling conflicts, we're airing it 15 days earlier because we want to have content coming to you. In two weeks, we plan on presenting to you our mentor interview for the month of March, and it will be worth the wait. Sometimes schedules don't line up, and we want to always be open with you guys about things like this because it's important to us to maintain a level of clarity and a broad stroke of openness in conveying our thoughts, our feelings, and our abilities here as we grow with the Wall Breakers and the Wall Breakers community and this Breaking Walls podcast. As I said on the intro, if you have any questions for Lena or myself, please do not hesitate to contact us. You can do so at hello at thewallbreakers.com or hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter, and all of the other usual social media channels, which you can find in the footer on thewallbreakers.com. And as I said, this month's topic is serendipity. We arrived at the topic of serendipity because the month of March's main event is St. Patty's Day, and luck is something that's always associated with St. Patty's Day. And beneath the surface, when you define luck, serendipity plays a large part. So this month's content on the Wall Breakers is going to center around all of the good fortune that can happen in your own life if you allow yourself to be vulnerable and allow serendipity to take place. Now at this point in time, we're 10 episodes in, and if you listen to any of them, you have a good idea how I usually end these things. And more important than ever, with the change in content and the topic of serendipity, I want you guys to be open to what's coming your way. Remember, if you put your best intentions forward, but expect as little expectation as possible, you're then open to something that you haven't expected to happen. And oftentimes, if you expect something to have to go a certain way for you to be happy, if it doesn't go that way, you're not going to be happy. And if it does go that way, it probably didn't live up to the expectation in your mind in the first place because you've been building it up for so long that it didn't make you happy anyway. Sometimes you just have to breathe, relax, take things one moment, one day, one breath, at a time. And keep getting out there, guys. Keep breaking those walls. That's what we do. We're wall breakers, all of us. My name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls Episode 10. Until next time, we'll all catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much.